And I've had people get decals that they put of the person's heartbeat on the back of their pickup trucks. I've had patients get tattoos of these sound waves. So, I mean, the sky's the limit on how creative you want to be with these people, but it really comes back down to that individualized assessment and what their actual need and use for this would be. And if that's not understood, don't do it. Welcome to 10 Times Your Creative Business. I'm Kat Fulton, your host, and this is where we have intimate conversations with creative geniuses about how they were able to make an impact, crank up their business smarts, break free from the starving artist mindset, and 10 times their creative business. I hope you can walk away from this podcast learning how to use your life's work to support more than just a living, but truly a life by design, paying the world forward with your creative genius. Now, this episode is different than any other episode because it's featuring my friend and dear colleague, Brian Shrek. Now, Brian Shrek is the inventor of this innovative music therapy technique called, I call it Amplified Heartbeats just for short, but he calls it ACPR, which is Amplified Cardiopulmonary Recordings. Uh, So the reason I wanted to feature Brian on this podcast is because Look, when you are wanting to seriously make an impact and explode something, scale some kind of business idea that you've got, then it's very important to be very, to be clear and cut about when it's appropriate and when it's not appropriate. So that's one of the things that I appreciate about Brian is that he is flat out so truthful about saying, Hey, don't use it if you don't know what you're doing. Right. And I have found that the more wish-washy we are about our ideas and the more we say, oh, you can use it anywhere all the time for anyone, everybody that you run into. This is a great thing for everybody, anytime, all the time. The more wishy-washy, the the message gets watered down. Uh, And so just pay attention to especially that piece of this because that is truly the way to grow is to get very, very specific, very niched, very... Um, cut and dry about, oh, yes, we should use it here. Oh, no, we should never use it there. Uh, So here we go. Let's do this. I can't wait. Yeah, you want to start us off with a little noodling? Just have fun. Let me make sure I'm in tune. Okay. You You are so fun, Brian. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Brian Shrek. Ah, thank you so much for your time, Brian. It's great to talk to you. And do you know this about yourself that with all of your media mentions and the way you present yourself out there, you come across as such an approachable, caring, loving, fun, super fun and playful kind of guy. Do you know that? That, that's exactly what I would what I would want from the world. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're putting it out there, so so I hope that um, I hope it comes back to you tenfold, a hundredfold, a thousandfold, because um, you deserve it. You deserve uh, really wonderful things in your life. Because I can feel it from you. I can feel it. You're good. Well, good spirit. I'm, I'm grateful for you inviting me to talk to you, and I'll share everything I know about anything. Thank you, Brian. So if you don't mind, um, how on earth did you stumble upon this really great idea of taking 
clients' heartbeats and setting them to music and doing all the things that you, this, this whole topic, how did you stumble upon this idea? Well, it, it, it's the stumbling happens all day long, every day with everything that we do. I think as creative people and as artists in general, we're always exploring and trying to figure out the best way to connect, not only with our patients, but their families as well. Um, I would say recording has been an important part of my practices since I met Clive Robbins back in the early 2000s. And the way that he would describe the work that he did even 50 years ago, you could see the sparkle in his eye and about this sort of journey that we're collectively on together on this weird world. And I think um, it was in those moments of just watching him recount these beautiful events that really were at the foundation of it, inspired by love, a clinical love that he not only shared with Paul, but also with every person that he worked with for countless sessions. I mean, over large spans of time. So I think there's two parts there. The importance of recording, not just to review and reflect and be able to share the actual evidence. And I think that this work really emerged out of clinical practice versus theory. So it's, to me, it, it came about after years and years of thinking about different ways to connect with people and putting all the beautiful parts. Oh, sorry. Why is that? Go? That's never happened before. We can edit it out. Edit that out. Um, but I think that the recording aspect of any part creates a legacy kind of immediately. Now, that's a part of their story. It's a snippet in time, but it's something that could be used later in any fashion, you know, in a, a, a collaborative way with the patient and or their family. So if it's a good moment of them laughing or singing or doing anything, those moments were gorgeous to then have a reservoir at the end of treatment after many, many, many months. Um, so I think in my career, I've always really focused on that long relationship-based work. Without that, to me, it, it didn't make sense. So it's, it's over time, all of this. And I feel like once you figure out the individualized needs of these people, you can use all of these little bits that come along the whole time to create something in the future and engage with in the future as well. So the, the other part about Clive and his just sort of vivacious approach to the adventure of life is another inspiration of all of the colleagues that we get to learn from. So I had friends that would talk about, um, you know, just the rhythm in general and how that can make us feel. There's a, a paper back in the early 2000s uh, by, oh, I'm going to mess up her name, but it's, I think it's Gadsbury. And she just wrote about the steady beat helping people with state anxiety. So just a steady rhythm can help people kind of focus and calm down. So that, that was in there sprinkled a little bit. Milford Graves, who would, as, was a jazz musician that would use different kinds of stethoscopes to really understand the internal sound so that he could connect with his external instrument. So talking about that with my colleagues throughout the years and you know my musician friends outside of music therapy community, 
And then talking with our music therapy community, our first um, person we hired at Cincinnati Children's with, was Catherine Yeager and is now Catherine Bruno. But we would discuss her internship, which was with Deforia. And one of their colleagues did like a, a, a lullaby creation group for people that had had multiple losses and had high risk pregnancies. So they would use the in utero sounds of the mom's heartbeat to create a lullaby. And that, you know, got my wheels turning. And then, you know, I'm in intensive care units where you're not really wanting to document a lot of life. It's not memories that you might, you know, you, you never want to revisit even, you know, it's, it's, there's a reason why I, even some of the patients that I've talked to when they come out of intensive care, they don't remember a lot of it. And to me, that's a good, it's a good thing to not remember those things. Um, so then kind of being in this desert of I'm only in intensive care right now. I'm used to recording all these other parts of life. How can we connect with the patient? We're doing all this music that's going into them and even created with the family centered approach of every, you know, everyone around their bed. But at the same time, I felt I, I was, I wanted more. I wanted something to connect. And I was up one morning, someone sent me, um, I think it was Good Morning America. It was the story of this woman named Tara Storch, who unfortunately lost her daughter on a skiing accident trip and her heart was donated. They found the recipient of that heart transplant and that person was a nurse. And as soon as the mom walked into the room, she put on stethoscope to the mom to let her hear her daughter's heart beating. And that was kind of a light bulb. It was just like, that's what we need to do. We need that sound at the bottom of all of this. And then to me, you know, it's just like a symbol of love in general, my beating heart, my heart beats for you, you know, all sorts of things that to me, it's another sound that can articulate. I love you to your loved ones when you can't. And that doesn't have to always be when it's intensive care or when it's end of life even. To me, this is a sound that is a part of us. And creating anything out of it is just another rhythm. It's another piece of them that's at the foundation of an experience. And that can be recorded and or live too. You know, there's nifty equipment now that you could put a stethoscope on someone that is Bluetooth to a speaker and hear it out loud in the room and then improvise around that live, live heartbeat music. The recorded aspect is meant to be a longer process-based collaboration with the patient and or the family and to be done as early as possible. So it's not about me. It's not about my musical talent. It's not about my voice. I, that's why I like to do instrumentals so that I want the intended listener to sing along with it. You know, I want them to engage in it physically, whether it's to move or to move emotionally. But if we have time, the patient needs to be all over it too. So my, my golden standard of this possibility is to have them singing on it. And I'm just kind of produce, helping it come together. That's my main job. But then you can add other family members. You can add I mean, we even went as far to add cats and dogs as well to their pieces. So, I mean, it, you can be as creative as you want. To me, it's just another sound that is useful.
and meaningful to that person's life. And yeah, it's the sound of life. Yeah. I love it. I I love hearing you speak of this. So many points that I wrote down that I want to, I want to revisit after I get to some nuts and bolts questions for you. Like, you know, um, uh, the, the clinical experience versus theory, you know, this is obviously clinical path that you took to get here. And I, I, you know, I'd love to, and I also love to hear how you feel about single session music therapy, because we don't always have the luxury of seeing people long-term and so forth to, you know, just to explore the, those ideas. But, but first, before I get to those, um, you know, you just got my wheels turning, um, and getting me so excited about all of this, uh, the way you describe the heartbeat, the meaning, symbolizing, I love you symbolizing. I, ah, oh, I mean, it is really so beautiful and so touching and is beyond anything that can be written up in a quantitative research study. <laughs> or, yeah, you know. it's, hard, it's hard to quantify love, but it is. And to me, if there is love that, that is why there's grief as well. So, you know, I'm, I wrote a chapter, just finished it yesterday for Cheryl Delio's book on music therapy at the end of life volume two and I started out with this quote by Nick Cave that really just describes grief in such a beautiful way after he lost his son where it it really just comes there's if there's a pact with love to where if you love you are going to grieve and it's just the way that it is it's it's non-negotiable and it's ongoing forever so to me, this can be an ongoing treatment for grief yeah. because it is a connection and it's moving. It's not feeling stuck. That's part of it too, is for it to not be a stagnant product, that it's a living thing on its own that can change and transform and go to dark places if you're feeling that way and go to the, the more releasing, beautiful places that you can get after time, but all the things in between as well. Yeah. Incredible. I, I have a, a nuts and bolts question for you. So um, you, you work with adults now and, and you've done a lot of this work at end of life, for example, but what are other settings that we could apply this to as music therapists? I think it can be used to create any song out of, to me, it's a beautiful way to create a song with a patient, having their rhythm be the foundation of it. And let me get a little bit more specific. So what kind of clients across the board populations and, and um, if you can speak to that, have you seen this being used in like where, where? I did a little Facebook poll of maybe two years ago and just was curious to see who's using this and how and why. And I didn't get much other than the centers. So I counted about 85 different centers, most of them medical, um, But to me, I feel like there are lots of uses for this in all the arenas that we serve and all the populations that we can. To me, it can be a functional way to structure any sort of rhythmic thing that you're up to. I mean, because a lot of entrainments about matching and then changing. So to me, it fits in real sweetly with everything else that we can do. And it doesn't have to be a doom and gloom end of life thing, which I think it it sort of gets a lot of attention for. And I remember even when when this started to swim around back at Cincinnati Children's Days, I think the Huff Post, like the title was, 
music therapists use child's dying heartbeat to, and it's like, this isn't about a dying heartbeat. It's about a living one. And to me, that's kind of the flip on all of this as well is this is about life and about living. And these are intended for the living. So if there's not an intended listener, then why are we doing it in the first place? If we're using it just in general music therapy, whether we're working with someone that is a veteran whose loved one is deployed and vice versa and creating a piece of music that makes them feel connected and increases their bonding. If it's with uh, how it really first started with me was in perinatal hospice, working with women that were expecting a baby that was not expected to survive. So getting that ultrasound sound was an important piece in sound of her life that is documented. They were here and they existed. Moving along to anyone that is nonverbal, this is a way for them to say, I love you, or to communicate in a rhythmic way that is working well. You know, it's our jobs as music therapists and expressive arts therapists to find the things that are successfully working and amplifying those out loud. Yes, yes, I love that. Um, so basically I'm hearing, you know, this can be used in almost any setting with children or um, uh, babies who have not yet been born, older adults, um, <clears throat> medical, but probably mental health as well. And yes. yeah, really good for, okay, go ahead. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm currently writing a paper with Claire Getty and the first video uh, that we did on this from Cincinnati Children's, the father that's in that, we worked on a piece of, of this heartbeat music for, and I like to call it Amplified Cardiopulmonary Recordings, ACPR. Um, and to me, that's the more process-based music therapy use of this intervention to where it's not just a one-time product that we give to a family after a single session. To me, this is intended to be used over time, if possible, through assessment with the bereaved family members as well. So that's my vision of it. And this articulates it with someone um, that did have some mental health issues. So I think there are so many different applications of this. Yeah. Um, okay, wonderful. ACPR, Amplified Clinical... Party. Amplified cardiopulmonary recording. So it's like CPR, but instead of resuscitation, it's recording. And it's amplifying their sound and it's using it to make a recording out of. Love it. Okay, amplified cardiopulmonary recording. And so you're really, you're really jumping into academia with your work um, and bringing, bringing this, I mean, with all the papers that you're writing and, and so forth. Yeah, I, I feel like it's it's part of our professional responsibility. Uh, it's my least favorite art form to communicate in, and I really do struggle with it. So to put out to anyone out there that, you know, this in November will be my 18th year of being a board certified music therapist. I think, you know, it took me probably up until the last three years to really even have the courage to attempt to. And once you get into it, you invite your smart friends that like to do this sort of stuff and they can help you along as well, including your doctor friends and 
advanced practice nurses that you also work with along that also like having their names on papers as well. I think it's brilliant what you're doing. I think it's brilliant, you know, because because what you started talking about too was that you know this came about due to clinical experience, not due to Brian reading the research and, and plugging in all the numbers and making the equation work out and then the calculation, the final formula equals this heartbeat recording. I mean, it did not happen that way. Whereas a lot of a lot of people believe that you should only practice that way in the very calculated um in the very calculated linear type of manner but i think as creative people right so can you speak a little bit to, to that about like maybe uh going outside the envelope and should music therapists go out explore beyond what we would consider evidence-based according to research should we is that is that okay to do that can you give do we need permission to do that I don't think we need permission to do a lot of things. I think as explorative, creative artists, we have to continue to push the envelope. And to me, like if I'm if I'm using the right way that I should have done stuff, this paper that I just put out this year would be the first time anyone was hearing about it. And then I would just be talking about it for the first time, like this summer. So, I don't know. To me, there was a lot of movement and growth, just even with my thoughts and feedback that I get from other people and other clinicians that help me and help refine this every day is that we have to try. And the evidence to me doesn't have to just be in the written form. So when I say that this emerged out of clinical work on the front line, that's exactly what it did. I was already using recording no one else was saying don't use recording to me my favorite music therapist clive says look at all this beautiful stuff that we documented every single session almost for their own assessment as well to review and see oh i could have probably done that better or, man i can't believe i said that or all sorts of things so to me there's a profound usefulness of this tool of recording and then it led to a place to where i was feeling stuck and it's in those moments where you do, the world sends you signs. You know, I'm in the cardiac intensive care unit. You're looking at heart, heartbeats and heart waves and the heart's kind of in your face the whole time. So sometimes it's right underneath your nose, but you have to try it out first. So the evidence to me was the people and the feedback I was getting in the moment from these people with similar types of recordings. So to me, it wasn't that much of a leap of faith to then say, I think this is going to work as well. And I got almost immediate feedback from these people who are the most important people, because it's for them saying that this means the world to them. So that was the, all the evidence that I needed. And that was going to be my next question is, um, you know, what, what feedback were you receiving that gave you the, that gave you the hint that, okay, I want to, I want to go deeper into this world and I want to explore more. I want to like really, um, you know, get in, get in, dive in deep to this forest. Yes. Uh, so you got, so you got feedback saying this means the world, um, any other kind of feedback that you can share by respecting people's confidentiality and privacy at the same time, of course. When I, when I was writing this last paper, I had a whole appendix that had feedback, mm. but then I realized it didn't really have anything to do with the statement of, well, you know, why we were writing this paper in the first place. It, to me, those comments were would have been a part of another paper about this work. 
And it was all positive. It's all, even if it's hard and challenging and they might not engage with it very much at all, but every single person I talked to said that if I did talk to them about it, they said that they liked knowing that it was there at the least. So to me, that's enough. Yeah, yeah, definitely. From knowing it was there to this means the world to us. Yeah, and, and to me, it's always better to have it and to never engage with it versus not wanting it in the moment and then wishing that you had it later. So to me, it's always worth doing it, even if they never listen to it once. Yeah, it's you're there. an experimentalist. Um, so yeah. I'm curious for other music therapists, how accessible is this work? How, how easy is it to set up? I don't think, I think it's getting more and more easy. So with the equipment, it's kind of expensive, some of it. I really prefer the Think Labs digital stethoscope. It's called The One. And I can grab it real fast if you want me to show it to you. I'd love to see it. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's a very sweet company. They have done quite a lot of work just with when Ebola was going on in Africa and when the pandemic started because you don't need, it doesn't have to break your PPE. And so and it's you can, it's Bluetooth. You can do it remote too. So yeah, you can Bluetooth it. You can also hardwire it in. But what I like about this is that you can amplify it from the source. There's buttons where you can, so before it even hits your recording software, you can make it louder. And to me, that's important for anyone that's not an infant. The larger people get as the older we get, the softer that sound's going to be because where it's coming from in your body and it's moving your skin against this little diaphragm, that's how we get that sound. So if I'm working with a very large person, I can amplify this up right from the source. You can also listen while you're recording, which is important. So I feel like you can then feel like an expert when you're walking in and not feeling like you need to ask a nurse or anyone else for help of where to place it. Or... So to me, that's important too. And that also has to come with trying it on yourself and some of your loved ones so that you do feel comfortable and confident before you actually work with an actual patient or person that a client. Um, this thing can also Bluetooth into a Bluetooth speaker. You can also hardwire it into an amplifier. To me, there's just a lot of cool applications that are outside of just the recording aspect too. Great, so it's really versatile. So it's different than the Echo, E-K-O. -E I've heard a lot about that one. Have you, have you worked with that one at all? I have, we have a, a similar one. It takes a little bit more to get it. And I think you have to like send it in a file and then import that into your digital audio workstation. So to me, it, there's a little bit, there's a few more steps. There's a little more involved in the editing once it's in there to either bring up the volume and other things like that. So to me, you, you should have a little experience in recording. 
Okay, so Think Labs digital stethoscope called the one. And if you hold it to the screen for us, if you don't mind. And so you're telling me that you put, you hold that against the client's chest. Mm -hmm. Okay, that that lies right down on the <clears throat> on the patient's chest, right there. Okay, and <clears throat> you can just rest it right there. Do you need to um, do you need to strap it on or anything? So if, if they are lying completely still, you could lay it on there, but you should push down a little bit, but it's also picking up every little sound. So the more steady you are, and once you have it in place, you shouldn't be moving at all because it'll even pick up your fingers moving around on it. So there are some tricks and some finesse that you need to just sort of be aware of. But as soon as you have the earphones in, and you're doing it, you can hear every sound that it's making. Is this device compatible with Mac and PC, with iPad and laptop? It should be if you have the right different things that you need. <laughs> and there's going to be more and more of these. And this is a fluid thing that will completely evolve every second of the day. I mean, the laptop I'm talking to you on right now, I think only has two USB-C holes. So, you know... <laughs> I don't know. It's one day there won't be any and yeah, it'll, right. all, it'll all be Bluetooth. So, but in the meantime, yeah, I use, they have it on their website. It's called the sound blaster and it amplifies it even a little bit more. And then in order for that to work, I still have to use this adapter for the USB-C, but I like that it goes directly into it. You've got and all I've, dongles. Yeah, you have to have all of your dongles ready to roll <laughs> and not be afraid of them. So, yeah, I feel like the more and more you get used to this, you don't you you lose your anxiety for it. And then it just becomes like playing your G chord on a guitar that you like. I love that. I love that. Um, so pretty, pretty accessible. And I imagine you probably have a list of equipment or I mean, or can you I mean, maybe you just use that and you're done. Chop, chop, chop. All you need is this, and if I, I do prefer Apple products, so most of them come with GarageBand. To me, that's kind of like a Microsoft Word for dipping your toes in the water. I mean, but if you really know what you're doing and you have Pro Tools, it's going to be a cinch, I think. And then, I mean, thinking about MIDI and other things, you can sample one heartbeat and then use a MIDI controller and add that underneath any song that you'd ever want to. To me, that's another way to engage someone that doesn't feel very musical as an adult. Um, I could have their heartbeat preloaded and all they have to do is hit a button and add their own heartbeat underneath their favorite song. And then it's theirs. I didn't have to do anything. It took as long as the song takes. And there you go, right back to you. That's so beautiful. That, and that's just so incredible. So, um, gosh, I, I've learned so much in speaking with you just over the past few minutes. Um, wh what do you see as the future of this line of like, I don't like to call it intervention, but this, this line of um, specific music therapy technique, right? So, so as you're looking into the future, five years and 10 years, as technology improves, of course, you already mentioned, eventually we won't, we won't need any dongles. I can't wait till that day. <laughs> <laughs> And what about like, as far as the music therapy technique goes, you're already such a visionary. Um, you know, what do you see 
that we can, what do you see in the future that we might have to look forward to as music therapists practicing this, this specific technique? I mean, my, my practical goal would be for music therapists to not be afraid of and or have support to facilitate bereavement work. So in the hospital, you know, the work is all done here in the hospital. And once it's over here in the hospital, that's kind of the end of it. And that's the end of an expectation almost on both sides, the patient's family, as well as the clinician. So I feel like my hope for the future would be that we would have at least a little bit of a casting of a net out into the future to say, our doors are open and our lights are on. If you need some more work, we can do it. And we can use things like this and all the recordings that we did that have now become legacy pieces to work with in the future so that you have a, a future usage with these recordings from the past. Right. And that it's alive and living, um, you know, and if they are still talking, just to give a little plug about some of the other legacy work that I do, I've gotten internal support to call this office that I'm sitting in the legacy lab where I'm proactively getting consults from oncologists and their nurses with anyone with advanced cancer to come hang out with me as soon as possible to record some stories to record simple messages like, I love you, I'm proud of you, thank you for taking care of me, uh, stories about where I met you the first time. And then if we're looking at milestones for their future of their family. So to me, I'm, I'm looking at this as the intended listeners. Who are these intended listeners? If they're their children, then unfortunately may be in high school and college age years, what are some of the milestones if we can get there to look forward to, to record birthday wishes, graduation day wishes, wedding wishes, reading a book for a grandbaby that doesn't exist yet, things that are in the future, but we're really working on them now so that the people that we love can still work with you in the future. To me, that's my hope like the, the connection piece of, of everything you're doing, the, the humanity and connection piece is um, really, really big, really big, really, really profound. So, well, it's an honor. And I feel like that's what keeps the magic inside of us moving through this challenging world with these people that have challenging chronic illnesses is that we have to find these pieces of how beautiful they are and to really shine that out back into the world and to me that's what the therapy is yes. yes 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 creating like opening the window so that they shine their light so that they hold the candle of their own um spirit yes and to me these recordings are theirs i'm helping create them with them but they don't belong to me they are yours yeah. and i feel like that's when a lot of music therapists kind of get lost in the weeds back in their office working on a song that they've never heard before and will spend a gratuitous amount of time creating this piece of music that the person's not even expecting really because you haven't talked to them enough about it. Uh, okay, one last question. So yeah. that, that brings me, okay, so what you just said there, music therapists are up against some barriers and some like challenges with this work. 
Um, so yes, what is like the biggest barrier that you feel like you can help remove for music therapists to move forward with this work? I think that it should just be a piece of the overall general music therapy that you are facilitating through the assessment that you're doing. There has to be an intended listener for these recording projects. If there's not, then why are you doing them? If you don't know the song, that doesn't mean you have to spend 15 hours creating this thing that they might not even want. So to me, there has to be a lot of actual communication with these people to create this thing that is collaborative. It's not about you. It's about them again. So how are we making them the center of this? And it means that they have to do some work on it too. We want them involved in it. We don't want it to just be about us and about our beautiful singing voice and about our amazing guitar playing. It's not about that. It could just be a simple chord that they're improvising something over. A word of wisdom. It can be 15 seconds long. But these are the, the kinds of things that you work out with your actual people that you're doing this with. And it, it can be 30 seconds right now. And then maybe in six months, we can add a little bit more to, or maybe not. To me, it's okay for it to be unfinished too, because most of the things in our lives will be unfinished at some point. So yeah, it kind of just kind of embraces all of those thoughts and feelings. But the most important thing is to let the people that you're doing this with do some of the work. Yeah. And the more, I guess, focus you can get on what it is that you're actually doing with them, then it all makes sense anyway. And that you're not spending any time in your office doing a lot of it on your own. To me, that would be the biggest takeaway. And yeah. to also educate all of the other staff that find this to be a wonderful thing that they could offer their patients, even on the last day of their life. But we need to do education with them to not say anything about the music. To me, if there is no intention of seeing them as a music therapist and or in the future, recording a 15 second heartbeat is good enough. That sound is powerful on its own. The music therapy piece of it, that to me is an ongoing treatment plan that you have with them. And whether they engage or not engage with it, they might find it to be totally bizarre, but you have to have that conversation with them. They might not understand it. And then the more that they think about it and you do a little bit at a time, it becomes something different to them. And I've had people get decals that they put of the person's heartbeat on the back of their pickup trucks. I've had patients get tattoos of these sound waves. So, I mean, the sky's the limit on how creative you want to be with these people, but it really comes back down to that individualized assessment and what their actual need and use for this would be. And if that's not understood, don't do it. it, it you don't have to do it either. <laughs> or, right, or if you're spending 15 hours learning the song that you don't know, like maybe say, don't, don't even, <laughs> maybe yeah. have some self, self-examination about that and realize, hey, um, yeah, maybe, maybe this isn't going to pan out to your ideal. Cause I love what you're saying. It's not about you invite them to do the work with you. Um, yes. then it's theirs. And then they have the reflective opportunities to revisit when they listen to it. Oh, I remember that day doing this with them. 
in the hospital. That was a good day with our person and all those things. It's not about you being alone by yourself. And I think working with adults, I've had some really wonderful feedback of if I don't know a song and I'm just imagining what it would be like to be them, do I want to hear a really butchered version of my favorite song by someone who's never heard of it before? No, no, thanks. Don't do it. Just don't do it. You can play, you can put on the recording using your whatevers and then try to play along and create an experience around that. But it does, you are not Stevie Wonder. And guess what? You will never be Stevie Wonder. And you shouldn't. This is such a classic example of the big picture of just shedding our ego. Shedding, yeah. shedding the ego because the ego wants to tell you you're not enough or, oh, you really rock on that song. Or you, the ego wants to tell you all the bad things and all the great things about you. But yep. that's, this is, being a music therapist is about shedding your ego. Yes. And this is to me just another, another way we can have a little bit of an exploration into the unknown with a safe person to find something and to keep moving, which is the bottom line, I think. And that's what the heartbeat really is. It's about keeping moving one foot in front of the other, whether it's physically or emotionally. Brian, this has been, this time together is so special to me and I have cherished every moment and every word oh, you said. It's been exciting for me too. No, I'm, I've been a big fan for a long time, Kat. And I'm, I'm delighted that you invited me to be a part of this in any way. Oh, thanks, Brian. I, I really appreciate your time. Really. I'm hanging on to every word and um, I'm going to take it with me throughout the day. And uh, you've really uplifted me. So thank you so much for sharing your wisdom. Well, thank you. It's an honor. Hey, thank you for listening to today's episode of 10 times your creative business. Your next step is to take a screenshot of this episode, share it on the Instagram and tag me at Kat Fulton or tag our company at music therapy ed. I would love to hear from you and connect with you. And I want to know what your biggest takeaway is or what you can do from this episode that applies to and transfers to your business. So talk to me over on Instagram or any social media platform. I'd love to hear from you. Also, Brian Shrek is our instructor of the month, February this year. So we're so excited to feature him and his class. It's 10 CMTEs, which are CEUs in music therapy land. Uh, you can learn how to use amplified heartbeats, how to use it to add another service level to your business, to what you provide through your company. You can use this in order to learn how to make a bigger impact. And just like Brian said, only use it if you know what you're doing. So come on over and learn from the best. Brian Shrek and our guest speaker, Alyssa Morris. Can't wait to show you over there. Just go to musictherapyed.com heartbeat.